Opening Arguments is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. The first refugee ever elected to Congress. The machinery of democracy should work for everyone everywhere, not just in certain places and not just on a certain day. Power sees nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will. We still have to be willing to show up every single day and demand our seat at the table. So f***ing proud of you guys. Welcome to Opening Arguments, the podcast that pairs an inquisitive interviewer with a real-life lawyer. This podcast is sponsored by the Law Offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Hello and welcome to Opening Arguments. This is episode 228. Well, I like that number. Isn't that number something? That seems like it's something. Let's see. It's even. Yeah. I don't know. It just it, it jumps out at me, but maybe it's nothing. And I'm Thomas Smith. That over there is Andrew Torres, Esquire. How you doing, Andrew? I'm great. How are you, Thomas? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, we've got some contentious stuff to talk about today. That's for sure. Uh, we're going to talk about everybody's <laughs> favorite lawyer who you I think you you and the L.A. Times sounded the alarm early on this guy. But we'll see. I mean, we there's been some major Avenatti news recently and we'll see what we think about it. You know, could be, it could be an elaborate Jacob wool hoax or not. We'll find out. And then we're going to talk about Jim Acosta and the fact that he was barred from the, uh, the white house press pool. And there's a lawsuit uh, that even Fox news is apparently agreeing with. So I'm, I'm uh, curious to hear Andrew's take on that. And then we got a great listener question about, the Oklahoma, <laughs> I say great, but it's also pretty, pretty alarming. Uh, Oklahoma just elected a governor who is an anti-vaxxer. So we got a question about that. Uh, oof, that's not good news. All right. So lots to talk about. Let's yeah, get to let's it. Let's get to it. President approved of the payment that was made in October of 2016 by his longtime lawyer and advisor, Michael Cohen. Evangelicals still believe in the commandment, thou shalt not have sex with a porn star. Uh, this case okay, has so already been, been won in arbitration. And in However, whether this president violated that commandment or not is totally irrelevant to our support of him. All right. So everybody's uh, favorite scumbag, Michael Avenatti. No, I don't know. I, I um, you know, there's been there have been a lot of reasons to be skeptical of this person. Uh, that I think you've highlighted well on this show, and I, for one, don't really trust him much. And I don't, I don't think we need a Trump to beat Trump. By the way, I think we need a, a we need a, a policy wonk, bookworm, uh, somebody who's going to 
really know their facts and and what to what to do once in power. But anyway, all that aside, Michael Avenatti apparently reportedly arrested uh, on suspicion of domestic violence. Now, this is a weird one. I don't. I actually refrained from tweeting about this because at first I was like, well, okay, that's you know, it's kind of along the lines of what you and I have predicted about this guy that he's not really on the level. Uh, he's he's involved in just not paying a business partner millions of dollars and just like refusing court orders to pay it, right? Uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean that somebody is also a domestic abuser or anything. I kind of just didn't tweet because who knows what's going on here. And sure enough, he is alleging that it's Jacob Wool, a.k.a. the stupid surefire intelligence. That's what he's saying. And, and I, <laughs> I, I can't help but laugh a little bit because... His uh, tweets now are essentially like, guys, I have letters from all of my ex-wives about how well I treat women. That's <laughs> uh, essentially what yeah, he's that's tweeting never, right now. That's never yeah. a good sign. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's only two ex-wives. But yeah, <laughs> he's saying, look at these statements from my my first and second wives saying that I've never would ever hit a woman. But uh, but that's that's the thing is that his his, you know, to be fair, though. His ex-wife, uh, his second ex-wife, his first ex-wife, both of them are saying it wasn't, you know, I wasn't abused by this guy. It wasn't me. So at the least, it clears that part of it up. It wasn't as though he was abusing his uh, his his ex-wife. But, it, you know, it could just be somebody else. Could be a girlfriend. Could be anybody. Um, so what do we know? And what what are your thoughts on this? What what thresholds would, would police need to have to be able to make an arrest like this to begin with? Yeah. So um, I, I want to echo all of that. Everything we know here is really, really tentative, but um, folks are sort of all over the Avenatti story. They've sent it to us. So I want to make sure that, you know, we are putting into context what folks are seeing out there. So I, I, I kind of want to do this backwards because you mentioned him tweeting out the letters from his ex-wives. And I do want to put that in context. Um, initial sources right include and you know put sources in quotes because a lot of this are you know is coming mm -hmm. from not uh, particularly reputable outlets um the one thing that those outlets definitely got wrong was the first reports and and i think that this was uh circulated by tmz uh were that the complaint was filed by Michael Avenatti's first ex-wife, Lisa, uh, and that is Lisa Story Avenatti. Um, and that's his, that that's his is second ex-wife. Lisa is his second ex-wife. Oh, yeah, sorry. Right. Right yes, correct. Right. Yeah. It, yeah so that is false. His first is, is Christine. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and it is and it is false. And the reason why, I mean, look, the TMZ documents that they cobbled together, I went and I pulled up the original court documents, right? So the way in which they were putting this claim together is to say, oh, in the divorce proceedings, uh, Lisa alleged that he was abusive. Um, and that's not really what the documents say. Hmm. OK, um, what the documents say is um, they say that uh, that Michael Avenatti was, quote, emotionally abusive in, in one hmm. section that he is hot tempered and used to having his way. When he doesn't, he gets extremely loud and verbally aggressive. Right. Okay. And it, it very specifically says verbally aggressive. Um, and and again, I don't. 
I do not want to be in a position where I'm downplaying uh, the significance of verbal aggression, right? Particularly um, in you know in in yeah. Seeing as how he's twice divorced, right? I now I find it pretty I, easy to believe that he has a, some sort of you know emotional uh, abusive problem or something. Sure, and and given that he's Michael Avenatti, it find yeah. I find it not implausible that you know he screams and yells right? right and and look like everybody has to figure out where their threshold for that is in a relationship um but it is it is misleading uh, and again look we are not the we defend michael avenatti podcast no, we're the opposite um, we're and, one of the first ones to not to, to call him out uh, yep we are i think the tip of that spear um it 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 is uh, it is misleading to suggest in what was a super contentious divorce and a super contentious divorce because here's a guy who has um, a high variance of income, right? He's got a lot of money coming in and a lot of money going out. And when people like that get divorced, they that tends to be really, really contentious. Right. Um, and right. And the divorce was contentious and she called him emotionally abusive. She called him angry. She called him vindictive. Um, there were zero allegations of, of physical abuse, which, again, doesn't mean that he didn't hear. Uh, but but uh, but in the in to the extent that those two uh, pieces of data were being put side by side, um, that's misleading. And I think that's what led to the release of what we would otherwise sort of deride as, you know, Kavanaugh-esque letters um, from, you know, each of his two right. ex-wives saying. Well, but I think in this case, it, it's meaningful in the sense that, like, people did think that the ex-wy, one of the ex-wives was the victim. So I think it is meaningful for them to right. say, no, no, I wasn't. We weren't even in the area. Like they geographically right. just weren't even around at this time. So I, I think that it's a little more valuable than than a Kavanaugh, you know, women saying, oh, he's great. Great guy. You know, it's a little little different, I think. And so here's so here's the process. Right. Um, the the complaint that was sworn out is uh, what's called an ex parte complaint. We've talked about that before. Um, those are private uh, they are ex parte is just one party. So it is the woman went to a judge and and that person's name uh, has not uh, been released. Um, those are all I just want to be super clear about this. Those are all really, really good things. Yeah, um, it is crucial that our system permit that for that to then rise to the level. Usually what happens in in those situations is you can get an ex parte restraining order based on nothing more than the allegations that are contained in the complaint. I know because I actually had this happen in a civil case of mine. It was a very very bitter there were four partners to a to a company and I represented the founder of the company and he and his wife were 50% partners and his cousin and his wife were the other 50% partners and it broke up. And I've alluded to this uh, several times uh, over the course of opening arguments. It was, yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, I, I know a, I recognize this lawyer. one. I wonder what percentage of your yeah. cases I, I have now uh, heard about. <laughs> <laughs> I've told, I've told a lot of war stories. Um, the, the cousin's wife filled out one of these domestic protective orders against my client. Um, and again, you know, it's my client, but but it was clear 
largely because she didn't show up to defend. So what happens, the, the procedure in Maryland, and again, this varies state by state, the way that it works in Maryland, as in as in many states, is you can go and get an emergency protective order based on nothing more than the ex parte application. That will then be operative for a short period of time. And that is designed to give women immediate uh, and, 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 you know, it can apply uh, in the reverse situation. But obviously, the overwhelming number of these cases are women who are being uh, abused by uh, husbands, boyfriends. And so you can get a protective order that says, no, you can't come within, um, you know, 60 feet of me, 100 feet of me, what, whatever, for this per- personal period. And you can get that ex parte with uh, just on the application of the facts. And and then that's really, really useful because then the boyfriend is banging on the front door and you can call the police and say he's in violation of the protective order. Get him out of here. So super, super useful tool, something I very, very strongly support. The way it works in most jurisdictions is at the expiration of the ex parte period, if you want to convert that into a longer temporary restraining order, then now you must go to court, right? Because there's a limit to which how much things can operate in an ex parte way. Um, and that's what happened in this case was, you know, she filled out an ex parte order. It stopped my client from being able to go to his to to go to the office of the company that he founded for a couple of days while they stole a bunch of documents, uh, as we contend. Um, let me not say that that was ever proven. We settled the case. But um, uh, while we allege that, you know, they stole a bunch of documents from the office uh, and then when it came time to defend to to defend the order in court and turn it into uh, a two-week temporary restraining order they didn't show up in court so that's kind of the, the the ordinary course of things what happened here was went a step beyond that right if you are looking for the is it jacob wall is it surefire kind of pro avenatti side of the argument um the police came and they arrested michael avenatti yeah. so you have to get a warrant to do that you have to get an arrest warrant and to do that you must have probable cause now uh, again you can establish probable cause uh typically in in jurisdictions from uh the combination of the facts that are alleged in the ex parte affidavit uh plus uh, any corroborating evidence, right? So, you know, bruising, whatever. It does not. So, so for example, it certainly could be uh, a case that was fabricated. But I want us to be really, really clear that that will that that must rise to a higher level uh, than just enforcing uh, a, a protective order. Um, Avenatti has tweeted out uh, that he has not been charged with anything. Uh, as of yet. And boy, that make you know, that's on the one hand, well, I get it. Can right? you both and be released on bail, but not charged with anything? Correct. You can. Yes. Yeah, because bail just governs pretrial detention. Right. So what would be um, the bail has, front? Like, what do you I, that's weird to me? I, don't, I feel like if you how how can they make you pay money to get out of not of nothing? You know, like, I don't get it because. Because there is a period of time uh, in between when you are held and when charges must be filed. Now, that 
that time, right, you are you have a constitutional right to a speedy trial. Um, that time is typically a 72 hours at maximum. Yeah. So we do know that there there are reports that he was released after posting fifty thousand dollars in bail. What we do not know, what we have not seen the reports of are there are several options. Right. So the options are he's about to be charged. The options or uh, alternatively, uh, the police have, after picking him up, made the determination uh, in consultation with the uh, district attorney that he will not be charged. Right. But um, but notice that Avenatti's sentence is and again, this this guy is a lawyer. If there was a determination made not to charge him with anything. Right. You wouldn't say I have not been charged. You would say the district attorney has determined that I should not yeah. be charged with anything and I have not been charged with anything. Right. Yeah. So there is the possibility that charges could could still be filed. And the reverse side is 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 also the case. Right. Like it is perjury to fill out a false a false application. Uh, a false uh, ex parte application uh, alleging uh, domestic violence. So um, sadly, we're probably going to learn more about this over the weekend. And, uh, you know, if if so, we will uh, we will go and supplement this. You know, Stormy Daniels has uh, has publicly tweeted and said, you know, look, that uh, these are troubling allegations, uh, but that, you know, if if the allegations turn out to be true, she's obviously going to get a new lawyer. Um, and, and and let's and let's also add what I think is kind of the right course of action, which is, um, you know, a bunch of places have kind of canceled Michael Avenatti speaking gigs, mm-hmm. which, you know, that that seems to make total sense while this is pending. Yeah. So there's a lot that we don't know. That is what we do know. Um and uh, and we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on the story. Jeez, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. There's already there's like already a Ben Garrison cartoon. <laughs> there's a so that that seems a little fast. And uh, pe- you know, obviously, conservatives and uh, a holes and clown horns are trying to weaponize the oh you said believe all women oh you said believe all women which which has been a prediction uh, of Me Too advocates for a while that eventually this was going to start being used to try to as in some sort of backlash. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want to strongly not express an opinion either way on that. I want to, I want to firmly state that I, I would, I would prefer to hear from the victim first before, you know, making any sort of determination. But, but if what you're saying is true, it does sound like they would have needed some, some decent probable cause um, for this. And furthermore, I mean, I guess in his statement, like you said, of him saying, I haven't been charged. This is this is really interesting. I don't know. What do you <laughs> what are we to make of this? Look, I, I think I think what you said is kind of the 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 prudent course here. Right. Which is, you know, what what is important and, you know, and we want to give uh, appropriate uh, we want to put into appropriate context everything, right? So there, there certainly is uh, are valid reasons for uh, Michael Avenatti wanting to correct the record where reporting has been uh, either shoddy or deliberately, right? Like the TMZ stuff is, I think, pretty deliberately a hit piece. So I get that, and and I think I think the the way you began that is is correct. Like let's 
wait to hear from the victim to be consistent with, you know, everything that uh, Avenatti has said that we've said, right? Like that's, that's, that's the, that's the appropriate next step. I think that's right. So the surefire tweet thing is real, but I, I, you know, it's either the stupidest thing in the world or a really pernicious thing, which is if it wasn't Jacob Wool, but then they want to also still sow doubt on a real victim while simultaneously being interested in God, that, that is all kinds of awful behavior by Jacob. Basically either. Here's my conclusion. Either way, surefire intelligence and Jacob Wool is probably one of the worst human beings on the planet. That's like either way, like either he had nothing to do with it, but then used his stupid surefire account to say, we strike again on this and to try to sow doubt on a real victim or they did have something to do with this and they're the, the word. So just arrest that man. Can we, can we, can we as a society, it's too bad that there's, we can't just as a society be like, okay, we have no use for this human being. Can we, can we just exile them to another place? Like it's, it's always provable. There's no, there's no good reason. He's already the worst person. Either way, Thomas's gambit yeah. or whatever was either, either a, a diet. <laughs> No, what do you call it? The di, uh, dichotomy or something like that. It's either either answer is this guy is the worst person in the world. Yeah, I like the uh, the, the press conference. Are, are, are you guys prepared to go to federal prison? No, no, you're not. <laughs> well, and what I was going to say is, is such... if it ends up being they had anything to do with it, I mean, Avenatti could sue the pants off him, right? I mean, there's got to be major consequences for that. Oh, yeah, a- a- Absolutely. Okay. When, how? When can these people be in prison? When can that stupid kid with a smug face yeah. be in prison? How soon? Answer yeah, me that, Andrew. Not, not soon enough. Yeah. is the answer to that. And, and and just to be clear, we will we will link the uh, the the tweet from um, in the show notes. The the surefire intelligence Twitter feed uh, has only twelve hundred followers. Um, so you know it's that's it's that's what, pathetic. Uh, but, even. You should have more hate followers than that. Like you should have more. People. No, yeah, but that's right. That's absolutely. Yeah. and ninety nine percent of those are following ironically. Yeah, right? like <laughs> or mean, just, just no. Ninety nine percent of them when, are online publication, like freelance writers who need to like follow the story in case they have to write an article for some internet publication we've never heard of. Like that's most of who it is. All right. But uh, but it says it retweets out the news that Avenatti was arrested and says surefire intelligence strikes again. And you and I uh, had to go look that up. Right. Like, I mean, there's enough. Well, yeah, because there's already fake news about there's there's this fake quote that why are right wingers so there's already a fake quote that Avenatti said people on Twitter. I don't know if it's a Russian troll thing or what or there's some coordinated effort to enter into the record that Avenatti said, she hit me first. There's like this fake quote of she hit me first. And everyone's like, but he said she hit me first. And that, that that doesn't exist. He never, nobody said that, but they just invented it. It's so, it's so pernicious. It's so bizarre. The time we're living in. All right. uh, So I want to add, I want to add that the, the, the replies. So uh, there are one, there are 1100 replies to that. Uh, the surefire they're you know to the surefire tweet and the thread is just golden <laughs> and it is it it provides evidence that everybody following surefire is following um you know either ironically or yeah. uh or uh, you know because it's a 
uh you know like john oliver like the <laughs> i think my favorite one is the uh jacob your mom called and she says your pizza pockets are ready <laughs> but uh all right so there we go we we don't know that much about avenatti but um but but this is a weird story all right we'll keep an eye on it Okay, time to talk about Acosta and the fact that he was barred from the uh, the press pool kind of thing. Um, the doctored video was tweeted out by the friggin' White House. Oh, the world we live in. This is a this is a tough episode. Just just yeah. stop the planet. I want off. But all right, let's talk about it. Yeah. So, um, I mean that that's right. Like like, let's be clear about the times in which we live. The White House barred a veteran news reporter respected by everyone jim acosta uh from uh, <laughs> i think there are a lot of people what was who are your, not, what was your... people, a lot of people are not jim acosta fans but that's that's okay either way he's still a reporter that you know for for asking a question and the white house tweeted out a doctored video created by infowars in initial response to allege that uh jim acosta was you know manhandling a white house staffer um obviously not the case and his uh acosta's uh press credentials were revoked we have talked at great length about the rhetoric being used by this administration we had our buddy your dad randall eliason on uh you know to sort of discuss all of the ramifications with respect to uh donald trump's war on the media and um and this seems to fit directly in line. So uh, what happened? CNN and Jim Acosta uh, filed a lawsuit and uh, that lawsuit seeks uh, both a preliminary injunction, temporary restraining order and also relief uh, in the form of restoring his press credentials. It is a federal lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the uh, District of Columbia. Um, as of today, uh, we have the lawsuit and we have the Trump administration's response. We're going to go through each of those. Um, we do not have a ruling on the TRO. I want to say and uh Doing Andrew was wrong. If I was wrong, I think they have a really, really good likelihood of getting the TRO granted mm. and getting Acosta's press credentials restored. Um, and I'm going to go through why that is. Um, it 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 would not surprise me the other way, but I'll still do an Andrew was wrong about it. I am predicting that 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 they will win. And uh, if they lose, I will tell you why they lose. Um, wow! But uh, I'm seeing in, that the, this any... decision is delayed until. What will have been Friday, the past for everybody, but we haven't gotten the decision yet. So as people are hearing this, they can already evaluate in real time. Andrew was right or Andrew was wrong, right? I, I can't wait. That's good. Yes. Get out your uh, scorecards, everybody. Okay, everybody. Time to do an advertisement. This is for Simple Contacts. Head on over to simplecontacts.com slash OA20. Make sure you get that code right. OA20, simplecontacts.com slash OA20 for our special offer only to Opening Arguments listeners. Look, you've heard me do ads for Simple Contacts before. I love this service. 
because they've taken the online contacts ordering process to the next level, right? I used to use another mail order contact service and the problem was your prescription expires and then you're online, you're trying to order it, your prescription comes back expired. Now you've got to go through the whole rigmarole of going back into your eye doctor, getting another eye appointment and and all of a sudden what was supposed to be a convenient process is no longer a convenient process, which was the whole reason for doing it in the first place. Um, Simple Contacts changes that. They designed a test, a vision test online by ophthalmologists. A licensed doctor reviews every single vision test. You do it online. It's self-guided. The copy says it takes less than five minutes. It took me like 90 seconds. I'm not kidding. And you can then get your prescription revalidated because look let's be honest like your prescription doesn't change that much over time now it's a legal show so obviously i have to do the legal disclaimer right simple contacts is not intended to replace your periodic full eye and health exam you still need those occasionally but this is the most convenient way to renew your prescription online reorder your contacts sitting at home in a couple of minutes and that's why they are continuing they've re-upped with us uh they have extended their promotional offer for uh our listeners to get the vision test for twenty dollars um that's preposterously great a twenty dollar vision test uh if your eye uh, exam is only partially covered or not covered at all by your health insurance then those eye exams can cost up to 200 bucks Um, that's about what it cost me the last time i just did a regular eye exam um and the price on the contact lenses themselves are un- really, really good. So go on over simplecontacts.com slash OA20. Use our promo code OA20 and you get the vision test. This this is why they made the code this way for only 20 bucks. Um, and, uh, and, and please, if you wear contacts, if you order your contacts online, I, I cannot recommend simple contacts highly enough. Give them a try. That's contacts.com slash OA20. Yep. So, you know, the reason is the lawsuit was filed on Wednesday and the Trump administration filed a response on Thursday and CNN uh, will file their sir reply Thursday by 5 p.m., which we are recording before that. And uh, and then the court will uh, will rule on Friday. That is, you know, the typical way in which temporary restraining orders get entered, right? An immediate kind of turnaround. Hey, you've got to do this because we have uh, a situation that is changing day by day and we want you to preserve the status quo. Um, in in any complaint, um, what's the first thing that that uh, that we do in reading a complaint? We go down and see who filed it. <laughs> Yeah, we 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 go to the very bottom, right? So the the bottom, we see that this was filed by Gibson Dunn and Crutcher, um, one of the largest multinational law firms, a Covington-like law firm, the home of, among other things, uh, Gene Scalia, Antonin Scalia's uh, somewhat less talented son, against whom I have squared off in the past, Ooh. and uh, and in particular, the lead partner on. The, the Gibson Dunn filing, not the working partner. The working partner who filed this was uh, Theodore Boutros, um, not somebody I know. The lead partner uh, whose name appears on the pleadings and therefore played a role in the uh, overall drafting of these briefs is Theodore B. Ted Olson, former 
Bush Solicitor General Ted Olson and probably the most prominent, the most well-respected, the most uh, certainly the most highly compensated lawyer on the planet. Ted Olson is a uh, a conservative uh, George W. Bush era Republican uh, former solicitor general. He has crossed over on a couple of issues, um, in particular on some gay rights issues uh, in the uh, late 2000s, early uh, 2010s. The fact that his name appears on this is very, very significant. Um and uh, it is it is literally like if if you wanted to draw a number line where, you know, one poll is um, written in a napkin in crayon and pink nail polish uh, and, uh, you know, the the plaintiff is pro se. The other end of that line is represented by Ted Olson. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I was so, wondering what you're expecting. It's not like you're going to f- find the Earth law guy has space law <laughs> guy we covered a uh, while representing ago. CNN yeah you know, exactly no, I, I wasn't not. you know I would have just skipped that part of it were me but you you want to know who you're dealing with I guess well and and look um at big law firms like this right like I I told you you know I worked for Bobby Birchfield I was invited to participate in the 2000 recount efforts I was invited to do work for the tobacco industry right uh, I did do work for the alcohol industry because you know i like yeah, nothing wrong with it. that. But but <laughs> right, but I didn't but I didn't do work for those other two clients, right? And and there are other uh important clients over the years while while I was at Covington uh, in particular where, you know, to the extent that it had uh political sensitivities, the the firm always permits all of its lawyers to, you know, kind of sign on or off of uh, of, of politically sensitive cases. Um, Ted Olson is, uh, and, and even if you didn't do that, right, like Ted Olson gets to call his shots. And so it, it is, it's not just, uh, of course, CNN is represented by a top-notch law firm. Um, but but the fact that he wanted to take this case, um, I think, is, is the significance okay. of that. Yeah. Then what you do is you scroll back up to the causes of action. So this begins on uh, page 14. First cause of action, violation of the First Amendment. That seems to be pretty straightforward. Uh, the allegation is uh, defendants initially claimed that they revoked Acosta's press pass because he, quote, placed his hands on an intern. That contention is not accurate, as we talked about. The president himself has stated that Acosta's on- conduct was not, quote, overly horrible and that Acosta's credentials were actually suspended because he failed to, quote, treat the White House with respect, end of quote. Those justifications are hollow and hardly sufficiently compelling to justify the indefinite revocation of White House credentials. Uh, The sole justification is their dislike for plaintiff's coverage of the administration that is insufficient to justify a restriction on plaintiff's First Amendment rights. Hey, listeners, today's show is brought to you by Podium. And let's all be real. Nobody likes talking on the phone anymore, pretty much. I mean, um, (laughs) I certainly don't. I always prefer texting. And maybe, you know, maybe some old fashioned people like talking on the phone Um, and maybe you might say, okay, friends and family, it's okay to talk on the phone. But when you're talking about a business, like, let's say I want to find out when uh, some auto mechanic has open hours or availability or something. I, for one, kind of get a little bit of anxiety around calling people. I don't know why, but the numbers show that I'm not alone in that. Ninety percent of consumers prefer messaging. 
and 99% of texts get open. And this makes perfect sense to me because if I want to find out some, you know, business hours or maybe a quick price quote or something, it's so much easier to just shoot a message over to a business rather than to have to call, worry about being put on hold. Maybe there's some annoying hold music or or you get sent to a voicemail and you, you never know if they even check it. Like, should you bother leaving a long message? This is where Podium is here to help if you own a business and consumers want to get a hold of you. It is so convenient for them to be able to message you. And not just that, everything from scheduling appointments to closing the deal is as easy as sending a quick text. And this is way more convenient for customers and it's flexible for you. Conversations that start with convenience end in more sales. Go to podium.com OA to get 10% off your monthly subscription. It's time to meet your customers where their screens are. Go to podium.com OA to get started and save 10%. Well, that's interesting, but but I, so that's what I was curious about because I didn't know. I mean, doesn't the president just have authorization to do this? Didn't Obama? Tr he started to he t was going to do this with a Fox News reporter, and then eventually, I think, just backed down due to public pressure. I don't remember a lawsuit about it, but I would have thought that the president can just do this. But if it, but are are you suggesting that if it's not an actual? Uh, uh, valid justification, then it somehow violates First Amendment? There is a case for this. Um, that case is called Cheryl versus Knight, uh, and it is a 1977 case from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, so it is binding on the court in which this is filed. And uh, again, obviously, 1970s, we're talking about Richard Nixon, OA's good friend, Richard Nixon. And, uh, and here's what the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit said in the Sherrill case, the White House has voluntarily decided to establish press facilities for correspondents who need to report therefrom. These press facilities are perceived as being open to all bona fide Washington-based journalists, whereas most of the White House itself and press facilities in particular have not been made available to the general public. White House press facilities having been made publicly available as a source of information for, and the archaic term used here is newsmen, but journalists, the protection afforded news gathering under the First Amendment guarantee of freedom of the press requires that this access not be denied arbitrarily or for less than compelling reasons. So that's the standard, hmm. right? If you are going to create a, a limited purpose public forum, right? press facilities for correspondence, and you're going to open it up and the perception is that it's open to anybody who is a bona fide journalist, then you cannot restrict access to that for arbitrary or, quote, less than compelling reasons. Okay. So in 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 looking at the Obama case, right, and again, this was withdrawn, and, and that's one of those things where, look— it it, it, could, it certainly could have been the case. I could envision, right, uh, uh, when, when Obama was elected, took office in 2009, after eight years of George W. Bush, I certainly was among those uh, saying, yeah, you should, you know, kick Fox News out of the press pool and, you know, and, and you know, and this is another sort of good illustration of um, kind of letting cooler heads prevail set 
a, a superior precedent here, right? Like the 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 if if Obama had succeeded in that, it would be more difficult for us to raise the case that it's wrong eh. for Trump to kick out Acosta for, for I don't being, know for, for being a left. Look, look, you can draw distinctions, right? We've yeah. we've drawn those distinctions on this show. Well, one of the right? constant the, conversations we have is the fact that like I we don't. It doesn't matter what the details are and whether or not we, you know, Democrats act uh, better so that they can later have the moral high. It doesn't matter. Like all that matters with Republicans is the power they have. So I think we need to start acting as though that's what's actually important and not the ultimate fairness of something. It doesn't seem to make any difference. So or or rather the perceive like how the right will perceive the fairness of something they per- will perceive whatever democrats do is evil and unfair and open borders and you know what socialism whatever it is it doesn't you know what i mean like i'm i'm tired of caring about like well this will look better to republicans when they whatever it doesn't they're not in reality for most of the time so i agree in part with that i disagree in part with that and i think that it is important to define the, the principle that the president should have to take hostile questions from journalists who oppose him politically. Yeah, I, and okay. I think I right, agree with that's that. But what I, Trump, I guess what I that didn't should be say, true for Obama. Right. Sure. But that what I would say is Warren. if a reporter is consistently uh, asking or, or asking things or coming from like a tinfoil hat uh Alex Jones conspiracy theory land. It, what I'm saying is Democrats, when they take the, the uh, presidency back in 2020, if we can manage to get our S together, our clown horn together, um, they should not have to keep the InfoWars reporter in the stupid press poll. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to, they shouldn't have to keep a lot of those reporters that Trump added in, in that press pool. That's all. I'm I, I agree with that. And I would say that that is covered by the proviso in Cheryl that says open to all bona fide Washington based journalists. Right. Like it is not hard to demonstrate that, you know, Alex Jones and 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 his ilk are not uh, bona fide journalists and not just and, and again, not based on substance, but based on process. Right. To say, look, you know, bona fide journalists tend not to be, you know, tend not to get kicked off of Twitter and Facebook for, you know, publishing defamatory conspiracy theories. Right. Like it, it, it you can use things other than the political alignment as the justification. And to be honest, right, that would be the case if you want to go for it. And this is why, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I gave kind of a nuanced answer to that. I certainly think. Uh, you can and should make a good case to revoke Sean Hannity's access, right? Yeah. That Liz okay. Warren should not have to take questions from Sean Hannity, um, and 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 ought to be able to say, like, All right. um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. All right, and um, the I, I would I, we're going to include the motion in support of the temporary restraining order in the in the show notes, and I would just send people on to uh, let's say starting at page. 11 right it's it's uh uh, page 10 to 11 uh, of the the brief which supports the allegation that there could be no question that the revocation of acosta's credentials is a content and viewpoint based uh punishment imposed on him because the president and his administration do not like cnn or acosta's reporting and uh and again we've talked about this (laughs) yeah it's gonna be pretty easy Um, to find some some uh corroboration for that claim (laughs) yep and uh, and here's the enter into the record the <laughs> sixteen hundred thousand times that 
uh, Trump called them fake news and said they were all this bad stuff about uh, in the record. I never thought I would see in a, uh, you know, U.S., uh, you know, in a federal district court for the District of Columbia, uh, the phrase, what a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watched, watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> The fake news media is going crazy with their conspiracy theories and blind hatred. CNN and MSNBC are unwatchable. Fox and Friends is great. <laughs> and there are just there are pages oh, and pages of this that, uh, you know, is just uh, is part what of the stupid continuing time we live in. What a stupid, <laughs> stupid time. Um, Fox the, and Friends. I think it is Fox and Friends. Yes, I, I think it is. What is really, really interesting, and again, I will upload uh, Trump's response, which was filed today, that that they do not uh, defend uh, the uh, revocation of Acosta's credentials uh, on the basis of him allegedly oh, okay. touching the staffer. And so it it I think it is really, really clear um, I think it's clear that, that they know uh, that um, the Republican base will feed into that absolute clan, clown horning nonsense that an objective uh, judge is not going to put on their MAGA hat and uh, look at this evidence through a Fox News Infowars lens. You know, I think that's pretty telling that they I mean, because I think they I think they know that. I mean, I mean, we've seen that Trump and a lot of those the the people, you know, and certainly Sarah Huckabee Sanders and all those people like they know what they're doing. They're not. They don't believe their own BS. Yeah, um, but you can at least point them to a statement signed by Donald Trump's lawyers in court under oath. We're going to link it in the show notes, beginning at page four, that says uh, at the press conference, uh, after Mr. Acosta asked the president two questions, each of which the president answered, he physically refused to surrender a White House microphone to an intern so that other reporters might ask their questions. It is disrespectful to the reporter's colleagues not to allow them an opportunity to ask a question. To be fair, uh, so that is what happened. Right. That is exactly but what they're happened. not. But they, so, they ditched the oh, he abused a woman kind of thing. They ditched all yes, that. Yeah. They they have 100 percent ditched that. And they have said uh, that the reason for denying Jim Acosta his press pass is because he has inappropriately refused to yield to other reporters. Right. End of quote. That is Donald Trump's explanation for why they have so I'm curious is this why because you mentioned uh leading into this that you would say if you're wrong you'd say why is this why because I could almost see that as a legitimate reason or I could see it being seen as a legitimate reason to take away a press pass yeah I I think so you know kind of kind of cutting ahead to the chase and we're going to talk about the other allegation uh in a minute but uh i think there are two arguments that the the trump administration is going to make that uh that are potentially salient uh in this case and the first is you know the kind of fairness to the other reporters argument and look I certainly expect, and again, we're going to get this filing too late for it to be covered on the show. Um, I certainly expect CNN's response to be that is pretext, right? That that they've now had to backtrack to this position. But, you know, as demonstrated at great length in our initial filing uh, and supported by X and Y and Z, 
you know, the, the, the real reasons are, you know, hostility to, uh, to Jim Acosta's viewpoint, uh, to the extent that they, uh, promoted and then had to disavow in court, a doctored video from Infowars. So, but that's, look, that's going to be a factual question. And the court has to make a determination, as you well know, on, uh, on a temporary restraining order on, on injunctive relief, they have to make a decision on likelihood of success on the merits, right? So the court has to say how they think that fact pattern will come out. And I could see a court saying, we think that that the facts may bear out that they were, you know, that that the denial of the press pass here was Ooh. for pretextual reasons. But but if I remember we, right, not, I think you've said when it's a question of violating like your constitutional rights, then the burden shifts a little bit. And it's, you, you don't have to like prove to get a TRO. You don't have to prove much because that's just assumed to be something that you need to err on the side of not violating constitutional rights. Is that right? It, Exactly right. Exactly right. Hey, exactly I listen right. sometimes. Um, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an OA fan. I, you know, okay. I remember that. Okay. All right. Um, the the other argument that that dovetails into that that features prominently in the administration's response is more than fifty other CNN journalists still have press credentials, um, and so CNN institutionally is not prohibited. And, and and by the way, that's the lead plaintiff in the lawsuit, right? So CNN institutionally has not been prohibited from covering the administration. Um, the uh, response to that is going to be a chilling effect argument, right? Is going to be, um, yeah, but you haven't started taking down CNN reporters by name, and and now you have, mm. and so um, you know this is designed to chill other CNN reporters who do have press passes from asking hard questions. And um, and and look, that doctrine, the chilling effect doctrine, is well established in First Amendment law. That's how I think this First Amendment argument is going to play out going back and forth. And at the end of the day, the reason I'm on the side of predicting that uh, I, I think Acosta is going to get the temporary restraining order is uh, uh, is for the reasons that you stated. And you stated it uh, as as well as I could have. So I, I can scratch that section off. my notes. <laughs> I, I do. I think that that they're going to say um, we tread very, very lightly when it comes to First Amendment concerns. There is a sufficient factual record to support the idea that this is uh, viewpoint based discrimination in denying uh, access to a journalist in any event. It does not meet the standard necessary under the Cheryl test because uh, it is not uh, a compelling uh, reason for depriving uh, Acosta of his credentials. Um, and, uh, and, and that's how I think that that's going to play out. But there is I wanted us to go through the arguments on the other side. There is a second argument. The second argument is a Fifth Amendment argument. And this is a really, really interesting um it's an it's an interesting argument, and and it's why I want to flag it. Um, I do not think I will I will ma- maintain this prediction. I think this case hinges on the court's evaluation of its First Amendment claim. I, okay. I cannot see the Fifth Amendment argument carrying the day, but it's it's interesting. So um, so here's the argument, right? Fifth Amendment says uh, you may not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, um, and so. Uh, what they claim here is that there was a deprivation of a protected liberty interest by the government huh. without the necessary process that was due. 
right? So revoking his uh, White House press credentials uh, deprived Acosta of a protected interest. Cheryl says that uh, that the interest of a White House correspondence, quote, undoubtedly qualifies as liberty, which may not be denied without due process of law under the Fifth Amendment. Um Acosta and CNN's liberty and property interests in Acosta's press pass are, if anything, and this is reading from the complaint, far stronger than the interest the Court of Appeals addressed in Cheryl, although the court there addressed an applicant's interest in receiving a press pass for which we applied. Acosta has held his pass for years and uses it regularly, and he and CNN require it to perform the constitutionally protected duties of reporting on the White House. Um, in response, uh, Trump has said uh, that uh, he received all the process that is appropriate. Yeah, right? because that's what I was going to ask you. Like, let's say yep. there is a nor- like a good normal because I'm sure these passes must get granted and revoked from time to time. What would be the normal amount of process that you would be due for this kind of thing? Yeah, and that's why this is always one of my intro salvos at originalists who claim that, you know, well, you just read the plain words of the Constitution. And I'm like, all right, well, fine. What's a process and how much of it are you due? Um, and, and the reason for that is because um, the the notion of what you are due under the Fifth Amendment uh, varies in proportion to the liberty interest that is being protected. So, you know, sometimes uh, the Fifth Amendment means that you must get formal notice and the government must conduct a hearing. Sometimes that hearing must mean that, you know, you have the right to counsel and that you have the right to present witnesses on your behalf, right? Like There are lots of different Fifth Amendment cases that explore the contours of what the, the process is. Here, it seems pretty clearly that the process to which you are due when the White House decides to deny your press pass uh, is to be told why you were denied the press pass and an opportunity to rebut the reasons for the denial. And that's what the administration says. And in fact, they say, uh, even if this were true and even if there were protected liberty interest, the most that uh, CNN would be able to obtain in court would be additional process, right? That is the the ability to write um, more stuff in your application to the White House. Um, now, look, the response back to that is going to be that the 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 process for evaluating those submissions needs to be fair, right? And that's why I said I think that the Fifth Amendment claim hinges on the First Amendment claim. But uh, but that's where we're going to come out. All right. Interesting stuff. Looking forward to the thrilling conclusion of that. And you can see you guys already know how right or wrong Andrew was. But uh, yeah, I'm optimistic. I feel like you have a good track record. I'm sure you're right. All right. All right. Do we have time for a quick listener question? Let's see. He who questions training only trains himself at asking questions. What? Randy Toad (laughs) asks a question on Twitter. Oklahoma just elected a governor who is an anti-vaxxer. If he succeeds in doing away with the vaccination requirements and kids die or are seriously injured from vax presentable diseases, can parents sue? Yeah. um, The reason we have time to do this question is because there is an easy and straightforward answer. And that answer is no. And the reason why that answer is no is the doctrine of sovereign immunity to which we have alluded previously on this show. But uh, but worth 
going back over again. Sovereign immunity stems from 13th century Saxony law, the idea that the king can do no wrong. There's a Latin phrase for that that I am not going to try and recall off the top of my head because OA listeners know I suck at Latin. You say that, Sovereign but the immunity. last segment yeah. was us suing the king who can do wrong. So what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, good. Really, really perceptive there, right? So um, the 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 answer to that is, so sovereign immunity applies to the federal government and to the state governments, right? Um, and as you point out, uh, we sue federal governments and we sue, we sue state governments all the time. Um, and the reason for that is because the federal government and various state governments have voluntarily abrogated their sovereign immunity and let subjects sue the sovereign for violations where otherwise they could not sue, right? The most prominent of that is the Federal Tort Claims Act, right, which allows, among other things, uh, individual plaintiffs to sue for environmental damages, mass torts. Uh, the, the standard of the act is um, that you can sue the U.S. government in tort for actions where if the U.S. were a private person under the laws of the location in which the wrong took place, you would be able to sue that private person. So in other words, the sovereign has absolute immunity but can say, oh, okay, but I deign to be sued in these sorts of circumstances. Um, but one area super clear, and you may get a bar question on this, so it's part of what Whoa, I thought I, I would listen uh, up. cover it here. Yeah. Um, yeah, is when citizens try and sue their own state, the first thing you learn is the governmental function test. Yeah, right? um, that's what I was going to say. So, it feels like you can't really sue if it's like policy kind of thing. It doesn't make sense because you know, you're kind of suing yourselves for doing the wrong policy. I don't know. That was kind of in my mind. It wasn't a fully formed thought. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. So the first test that you ask is, did this governmental agent act as authorized, right? Were they acting, were they performing a governmental function or were they performing? An, and the, the, the phrase that's used here in the law, it's kind of it's kind of unhelpful and confusing is a proprietary function, right? So in other words, if your governor embezzles money, Ah. You can sue the governor to recover the embezzled money, right? Because he was not authorized by the citizens to steal the money. Um, but if he, if the governor uh, is elected on a platform of stealing I'm your going money to create, <laughs> yeah, right, right, I get create which, a lottery. Which kinda, yeah, uh, is sort of what yeah, the Republican and, and, platform is these days. Uh, exactly right. Um, then, if 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 a state actor is performing a governmental fu function, right, something that is on behalf of the general public, doing something that is uh, requested by the legislator, by the legislature, performing a historical governmental function, anything like that, um, then the actor is just absolutely immune from liability under sovereign immunity. Um, so that would be the answer, right? This guy, this, this Oklahoma's governor, and I, and I don't know, I'm taking Randy Toad's word for it, but Oklahoma governor, anti-vax, elected on a platform, he's disclosed, Randy knows that he's anti-vax. Uh, he says, look, uh, voters voted for me, elections have consequences, congratulations, no vaccines, and then all of a sudden we have, you know, measles and smallpox break out in Oklahoma. Uh, there is nothing you can do about that. This is elections have consequences my friend so um yeah, straightforward answer so there you go 
Yeah, the remedy that the people have is don't put an anti-vaxxer. Don't vote for idiots. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which, unfortunately, <laughs> is harder and harder these days. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, vote for the less idiot of two idiots. I don't, vote, vote Democratic. No, I strongly agree honest. with that. Vote vote, if you're in a... If you're in a state where the choice is between two idiots, vote for the lesser idiot because it's better for everybody. That's easy. Not voting does. All right. Clown horning nothing. Okay. Uh, it is time to thank our new patrons, our co-favorite segment of the week over on patreon.com slash law. Hope you're enjoying all the goodies. And we begin with first? Tim Fisher, Julian Collin, Mika Hervenen, B. Rose, B. B. Rose. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And Thomas versus Eli, Footless versus Shameless. And thank you to Tim, to Attractive Raptor Distractor on a Tractor. <laughs> <laughs> I figure that's a mashup of Jurassic Park and Footloose. That would be, I would go see that movie. Corey Schneider and Verb Not a Noun. So thank mm. you all so much for supporting the show over at patreon.com slash law. Uh, if you're listening to this point and you haven't uh, headed on over, think about that. If we make your commute uh, a little bit better, uh, kick us a buck. Head on over patreon.com slash law. We will read out your name and possibly compare it to beloved 80s movies. Oh, no associate of this firm has ever failed the bar exam. No kidding. All right. I am very curious to hear the answer to this week's TTTBE. Let's see if I'll... Get to 60, even though it's one late. Uh, what do you say? What's what's the answer to this week's question? Star Wars, not a Star Trek. And I have enough geek cred that I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to confuse those two universes. So this was Lando Calrissian lends an Ewok fifteen hundred dollars. Statute of limitations passes. Bars recovery on the claim. And then uh, the Ewok writes to Lando and says, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you five hundred bucks if you just agree to get rid of this debt in its entirety. Uh, Lando agrees. Can he enforce that promise to pay the five hundred dollars? Um, and I want to cut to the chase because you analyze this question exactly correctly. Um, the 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 question is uh, has to do with the requirement that uh, contracts be supported by consideration to be uh, to be enforceable. And so option A, no, because the debtor made no promise not to plead the statute of limitations as a defense. That's a nonsense answer. You eliminated Thank that. Thank you. C, yes, because the debtor's promise provided a benefit to the lender that's that's got it back also kind of yeah yeah right, well, <laughs> um well no it it, it, uh, it yeah right. no it does it's it, right because it's it, that's that's like double consideration on the other side but you need cons- you need both sides to have something going right yes okay. exactly right so then the question is you chose answer B, no, because there was no consideration for the debtor's promise, which if true, right, you would say, look, promising to extinguish a $1,500 space debt where the statute of limitations is already run is is no is no consideration at all because you can't yeah. enforce that in any way. Uh, option D was, yes, because the debtor's promise, the Ewok's debtor's promise to pay part of the deferred antecedent debt needs no consideration to be enforceable. That would imply some kind of crazy space special exception to the yeah. rule on consideration for contracts. Um, so, And I started uh, to go down that job. path of like, oh, I could think of a crazy way that this, and then I remembered question uh, 100 and I thought, you know what? Going with B. And once again, Thomas's second chance law firm wins out, but uh, but Thomas loses. As it turns out, there's a crazy <laughs> exception, long standing. <laughs> 
<laughs> special proviso. You analyzed exactly correctly. Worthless promise, no consideration, but the promise to pay uh, a debt after the running of the applicable statute of limitations is a long-established exception to the requirement that there be consideration uh, in contractual law. <laughs> so uh, I I blame uh, the awesome. space law for this. Uh, good Good job on the analysis. Uh, sorry that uh, sorry that's going to be <laughs> counted against you in the standings. So if you promise to pay, I don't even understand how that would work. Yeah, it's literally it's just an exception to the law. It says if you promise to pay a debt that you could no longer be enforced to pay, then the law will enforce that subsequent promise. This is like some weird kids game. Yeah, it's no takes these backsies. <laughs> Well, if you if you double dare, if you triple dare a double dare, then you like it's something like that. Right. It's just essentially you accidentally uh, through incompetence or something made yourself liable for something you weren't liable for. Yeah, it's just it's just an exception, because remember that the reason for statutes of limitation uh, are, uh, you know, fairness and also proof issues. And so, you know, the the courts have long said in the case of. A continuing debt, even if the the you could no longer enforce the debt because of the statute of limitations, if the other party promises to repay all or part of it, then you can enforce that subsequent promise. So, uh, just one of those exceptions that you've got to memorize. We are now. Can after we just the, switch uh, sixty which, and sixty, or sorry, a hundred and hundred and one, and just have me go with yeah. the good, the normal, straightforward one for the last one, and the weird one for this one. You know, and yep. at least I yeah. issue spotted and I did realize that, OK, if there is some crazy thing for D, it'll be right. You know, all right. This is why the law is hard. Yep. Yeah, I know. All right. Uh, oh, and and by the way, shout out to all of our OA listeners, uh, including Morgan Stringer, who passed the bar. Oh, yeah. Um, almost all those results have come back. So uh, uh, congrats. If you pass the bar and you're an OA listener, uh, uh, tweet it out at us. And yeah, we'll, we'll uh, retweet that. We'll retweet our congrats. Yeah. Definitely. You should, be, you should be proud. I um I consumed copious amounts of alcohol after passing the bar. So uh, hopefully you did the same um, or celebrated in whatever way was appropriate to you. Um, but uh, it's a it's a major accomplishment. And, yeah. Um, and we're, we're proud of all of our listeners. I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm not doing terribly myself, but but, you know, yeah, definitely the real bar, too, is also important. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, 59 for 101. <laughs> Awesome. What if I just never get to 60? Like, it would just be 59 for 250. Odds-wise, <laughs> that would be you tough would not, to do. Then you would not be admitted to the bar. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, oh, no. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> well, I am very curious to uh, jump in your Terminator 1 and 2 time machine, Andrew, which, um, sorry to say, it can't take clothing for some reason. You, you, you... You're going to have to you're going to come out the other end of this not wearing any clothing. Just a heads up because that's how time machines work <laughs> in the Terminator universe. I, I, I loved your um, thank. Thank goodness. The the, the first person uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger encountered was, you know, a, a street tough. So uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. what if he just, you know, encountered a lawyer like and now we, we could make that happen. So, yeah, it I'd me, actually would have been good, though. Me versus funny. Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Check out Philosophers in Space for all my Terminator T1 and T2 uh, uh, threads. But anyway, hop in your Terminator time machine. Come out the other end as naked as the day you were born, you were born Andrew. And tell us who is this week's winner of TTTBE. I'm curious who knew enough to to get this one right where 
an armature like me tripped up. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. All right. Well, Thomas, this question tripped up an awful lot of people. Uh, we got a lot of fantastic uh, sci-fi geekery answers. I can't call them all out. Only a couple people got it right. And uh, I think the best answer of that comes from this is maybe cheating a little bit, but uh, our buddy and fellow Democratic fantasy candidates draft uh, participant, Chris Christofko, who is TTSO Chris. Uh, that is at TTSO underscore Chris, C H R I S on Twitter, who says, D, because I vaguely remember from law school that promising to pay a debt revives the debt and is an exception to the requirement of consideration. Here, Ewok promises, and he or she is off the hook. Um, good job, Chris. Way to way to remember uh, that law school exception from uh, <coughs> a, a time ago. Um, and uh, and congratulations on being this week's winner. Everyone, give uh, give Chris a follow if you haven't already. Uh, and uh, and check out his podcast, Title Town Sound Off, and um, that is at TTSO underscore C H R I S. Congratulations. Enjoy your never ending fame and fame. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks for doing better than me on the bar, everybody who passed. Good job. And uh, we will see you for a rapid response Friday. You betray the law! This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Thomas. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com law. If you can't support us financially, it'd be a big help if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OpenArgs. Until next time. Podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media LLC. All rights reserved. Opening Arguments is produced with the help of our editor, Brian Ziegenhagen, production assistant, Natalie Newell, and our unofficial researcher, Magpie. A special thanks to the moderators of the Opening Arguments Facebook community, Natalie, Alicia Cook, Eric Brewer, and Emily Waters. And also thanks to Thomas Smith, who wrote and produced all of the amazing music you hear, which is used with his permission. All right, and here is our space winner who correctly space-guessed the principles of space law right here in this space. And then we can do the scene from uh, from the first, I guess it's from the first Star Wars where, you know, Han is just taking all his Imperial credits or whatever they are, space credits, and he's out of there. You know, we'd be like, oh, you, you don't want to stick around and, and, and hang out with us more? You're just taking your space credits and your fame and fortune and you're leaving. And then the listener who won yeah. will come back later and... And kill a, a spaceship in the critical time. That's going to happen. All right. Or 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 from Spaceballs, the uh, the Dick Van Patten at the end, like they didn't take the money; they just took three hundred and sixty-two to space dollars for tax, tolls, and gas. <laughs> <laughs> a million space bucks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get twenty percent below MSRP for an average of fifteen thousand one seventy-eight under MSRP on the purchase of a twenty twenty-three Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland Four by E or Summit Four by E. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.